Hey, beautiful. I think we can both agree that we all want to feel confident, especially in the workplace. For some of us, it may come naturally, but for most of us, getting to that point has been a journey. I'm Tanya, your favorite hiring manager turned women's career coach, and I'm so glad you're here. Join me as we explore the stories of how other women went from shy and insecure to unapologetically confident in their corporate roles. Through their stories, you'll be inspired to take full ownership of your career, believe in yourself, and walk into any room with a presence about you that makes people wonder, who is that? <laughs> so grab a cup of coffee or wine and come meet some incredible women. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Corporate Confidence Podcast. I am going to introduce you to my new friend. She and I met uh, about a month ago at the TED Women Conference in Atlanta, and I was immediately drawn to her energy. We became fast friends, I would call it. So I am pleased to introduce you to Miss Ashley King. Ashley, how are you? Ah, I'm doing so well. I'm so excited to be here. Um, loved meeting you at TED, loved being reunited right now, and just so excited uh, to be here with your audience. Yeah, what y'all missed was when I played the, that song for her, because she was like, we're going to be reunited soon. And so I played it, but you know, copyright, like, you know. Copyright. I, was- <laughs> I mean, we could sing it. We can always break it down for the people. <laughs> Maybe we'll close it out with a little harmony for the people. <laughs> yeah, we won't do that. All the dogs will start howling and everything will just run loose. So uh, we'll save them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, shout out to Ted for for bringing women together and shout out to us for doing what we said we were going to do and recording this podcast. Yes, I'm so excited. And yeah, shout out to Ted. Wasn't did you have a great experience? I really did. Unbelievable. It was I think both of our first times and yeah. I would definitely say I mean, this is not sponsored by Ted though. I'd love for that to be the case. Shout um, out, shout out, shout out, manifest. <laughs> Shout out, shout out, um, but no, it, it's an investment, but it is well worth it. In my opinion, I had the best time. Yeah, I agree. Same thing. <laughs> awesome. So let's get into it. Now, I know that you're, I was kind of, you know, creeping on your, your profile and I, I see that you know, your background is primarily in talent acquisition and DEI, which I tend to think people think of those now, of course, there's overlap with the two, but in my mind, I, I think that people tend to think of those as separate functions. Uh, so tell me more about what that looked like or kind of what, what you've been doing. Yeah, such a great question. Um, and it primarily has, um, I will say DEI is kind of, um, I, well, let me say it like this, 12 years ago, whenever I started DEI wasn't necessarily like a hot term. Um, I started in research, which is typically, this is called like social equity research. So for my lifespan, I typically always told people that I worked within social equity. Um, and I started within that in 2011. Uh, I was a graduate level researcher for uh, what they would call traditional gender studies. And then I moved into racial inequities and uh, systems as well. Um, so studied that as well. And within that space, just really fell in love with human behavior, like the understanding of individuals, um, the comprehension of why we do what we do and under what notions can that be manipulated? Um, and how can you watch that unfurl? 
so working in social equity and and seeing what um, levers pull what things specifically within our systems is, is pretty intricate. And so I essentially took this work and uh, graduated and then in 2015 started working in HR. And HR has been going through a beautiful transition where people who were in recruitment and talent um, were kind of seen very much as administrative paper pushers you will process the I-9, you will do the first phone call to make sure that they're coherent, and then you will do as I say for the remainder of your time here. And um, in recent days, we see that that has changed a lot. They've gone from you know administrative duties to much more of a strategic thought partner um, who can do proper pipelining and provides candidate experience and does talent attraction and branding and all of these other intricacies that we're now seeing really matter. And so essentially what I've done is since 2015, uh, been using my social equity work as a backbone hypothesis and pilot to try out quite a few of these um, social algorithms and strategies that were derived through research to where it's like, if we actually did this in the workplace, according to IO psychology and social psychology, what does that actually look like? Uh, so for five years, I was able to start centralized talent um, at a Fortune 500 org, working very closely with the SVP and essentially was able to really, really learn a lot about talent HR and its relationship within the business from a back-end standpoint as far as what does the C-suite really care about? Like whenever all the doors are shut and no one else is in front of them and they're speaking their real truth, like what is that conversation? And how do we get what we need from it? Essentially, what we've done now is I'm fortunate enough to be the founder and CEO of a company called DEI Labs. And essentially what we do is we are a training and development company for HR and talent professionals. Um, and we specifically teach them how to practice ethical, compliant, and legal diversity, equity, and inclusion work in the workplace that creates systemic change, true systemic change. So, hey, that's my long-winded monologue. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Maggie. <laughs> Bye. It's been so cool. <laughs> wow. I mean, what an incredible story. I mean, the things that stood out to me that you shared, actually, I want to I wanna go back to a couple things. Um, your interest in human behavior, which I share, I, I started out as a psych major, can't say that I completed it. I then pivoted to communications, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, so I as well have a deep interest in human behavior and kind of like what, um, what influences that behavior. And then kind of to your point, what are the levers to change that? Um, so I think that that's really interesting because not to say that this isn't a common thing, but I'll at least speak to the DEI professionals that I've met. I don't know that they have that experience. So I think that that brings a unique perspective and kind of, um, expertise from your side. Um, I love that you have a tried and true method that you can put, you know, um, metrics around and you can say this has worked. And so let's implement it in your business. It, it's all interesting stuff. Um, and it, it, what else I find interesting is, you know, to do the work that you've been doing, particularly the fact that you've been doing it before it was really a thing, um, 
and then to know that you've now gotten to the place where you've started your own company that that is doing this thing to kind of scale the effort that you've seen be successful in other businesses that requires a level of confidence right and trust in your abilities to be able to take that leap and so I'm wondering if you think back to the early days where you started doing, I forget what you called it, the social, what did you call social it? Social equity. Social equity work. <laughs> um, how how was that? Like, if, if you go back to that time, I'm wondering, you know, whether it be how you showed up, you know, in, in that line of work, um, what your level of confidence was, again, just knowing it was kind of a different space at that time, but you were also likely earlier in your career. So what did that, what did that look like for you? It looked messy. <laughs> I know that for fact, if I'm, if I'm being 100% honest, um, and I'm going to tell you why at the same time that I was learning all of these things, I was learning all of these things. I was driving the car as I was learning how to put it together. And I was a mess in the sense that I was uncovering layers about myself and my reality at the same time that I'm trying to propel things forward. And what I mean by that is whenever I say I studied racial inequities and things, the reason that that was spearheaded during my traditional gender studies was because I was unaware of so much. I myself did not learn about the Confederate flag or anything like that until I was in my 20s. Meaning to me, I, I essentially what I ended up finding out was that I was a student of um, what's called a Becca book curriculum. And that is where slavery was involuntary relocation. Um, the Trail of Tears was a becoming experience for them for holiness and getting closer with God. Um, and these were all things that were must-haves and necessities for our society to get where they are. And we're all thankful and we're all happy. And it's as whitewashed as it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. And so the reason that I share this piece is because I had confidence that I had no business having. <laughs> I felt like I just found the cure to cancer. All these people must clearly have no idea the Truman show that we're living in of this fake life. And I need to tell you, whenever you have a rebel flag, it doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean. And the more that I started basically being a Mormon with this and just like, have you heard the word? Um, I, I realized I realized one again I had I had no business doing any of these things but I also realized that it was not something people wanted me to say mm. so the reactions that I got quickly diminished me because mm. my confidence that I had was built on things that weren't really foundational yet mm. and so a lot of times I got pushback specifically going into the social equity space and specifically within racial inequalities. And it was kind of this weird experience of what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Who are you trying to, what, like almost like this unspoken, like get in line, don't you know? Like, don't mm. you know we, this, we all stay hushed about this. Mm. Um, and so it was a weird environment to arrive to because to me, 
it was like, I thought no one knew. I just found the cure to cancer and I want to share the word and I'm confident. And then I go to an audience that says, that's cute. Shut your mouth. You don't know what you're saying and keep your head down. Mm. And so, um, and, and that's also a very harsh reality too, to realize is that you're in an environment that was aware. The confidence that I had starting in this work was trash. I mean, it was good. I, I was impatient. I wanted to tell everyone. And then whenever they didn't listen, I was pissed. My confidence level was an absolute mess. There were times where I'm like, this is the right thing. I think I'm doing the right thing. And then there were other times where for me, because so much of these learnings were intertwined with religion, it was very much like a, am I now the wolf in sheep's clothing? Am I going into the world? Am I, and, it, and it's at the time that I'm going to college as well. And so my family is very much like, well, you're just a liberal, you're just this, you're just that. It wasn't very easy because the white people in my ether were not supportive and I was confident, but I wasn't knowledgeable enough about my impact to really also <laughs> have um the support of marginalized communities as well a lot of people were like girl what do you know <laughs> like i mean or sorry bad word but what what do you what you know what do you what do you know little white girl yeah. um and so to be honest that's something that i probably get the most now 12 years later um because for those in the podcast that can't see me i am a white cisgendered blonde lady but throughout this experience and while I'm learning these things um, and even in my youth and pretty much my whole life I had um, medical issues uh, I would say mental and physical that contributed to me being rather very heavy overweight um, there were times where I had to take medications that made me gain up to 60 pounds. There were times where I had certain things. And um, by the time that I was 27, um, I was 300 pounds. And mm. so I was in this operating space of trying to figure everything out, taking leaps, verbal leaps on things that I probably shouldn't have and didn't know much of. Um, receiving a lot of backlash from my own community and then also feeling like I don't really fit in another because I can't speak on that behalf. Being overweight in the workplace is a very unique biases. Um, and the reason that I say that is because it is appearance. So it's one that someone's going to do in an instant. It's going to be from the moment it starts and there will be automatic stigmas attached to that that are their own whether it is accurate, inaccurate, whatever it may be, they will see you through the prescription lens of which they know. For the most part, it was like, well, she must be really lazy. She must be really this, really that. I don't think she'll be a good worker. There were times that I would go extra hard pouring myself into something because I knew that person thought something of me. I had really put together like, hey, I love social equity. I love talent. I love talent being a vessel for social equity. But I'm never going to be able to do it at the caliber that I need so long as I look like this. And I know that to be true because it's what I'm teaching people to unlearn. Hmm. And so I, 
I knew it was real and I knew it was always an obstacle, but I didn't know it was that relevant because I thought my work could speak over that. I can tell you right now, sitting at this weight, I would not be in the seat that I was in if I did not go through this experience because of how people treated me. First of all, thank you for for being so vulnerable to share that. I know it's, you know, a difficult, such a difficult thing to go through and maybe even difficult to to relive by way of, you know, sharing it today. So I really do appreciate you sharing that. I think the thing that I wonder is, you know, for women who are experiencing um, issues with bias based on the way that, that, you know, their, their body looks basically, I mean, to summarize it so simply, um, whether it's weight or, or what have you, um, what would be your, your message to them knowing that you went through it yourself and, you know, you've come out on the other side, um, just generally speaking, I guess, what, what would you say to them if they're dealing with that today? Yeah. So a few things I would say, one, if you wouldn't take advice from them, don't take all the drama from them. Um, so, so listen to the mouthpiece that's speaking in the sense of its weight, because if it's not someone that would hold a lot of weight with you for positive reinforcement, don't let them, um, whenever it comes to negativity for me, this work is that important that if that means I have to do and take specific time for my body to get where it needs to get for these biases to make the change that I want. And I will, I'll say though, that's my own special nuance. I don't think that that's the answer for everyone. I think had it have been for something else, which to be fair for 27 years, I had said, nah, like I'm good right where I am. Like I'm, you know, like I'm, I'm doing what I can with what I have to make it the best that I can. Yeah. You're gonna have to find your why, because this is not an easy lifestyle change. I knew this couldn't happen if this didn't. And I hate that I know that. I Mm. hate that that is the case. It shouldn't have to be. And to be honest, I hope a lot of other people hold the line and say, no, I think my body's beautiful. My body is my own and it will be what I want. But for me, the work that I'm doing is so much bigger than me. I think the takeaway is like, you know, if you're, if you're striving to um, change your lifestyle, like you said, you know, uh, finding that one thing that keeps you motivated, inspired, and maybe remind you of your why. So it's yeah. <laughs> kind of what, what I heard you share. And thank you for, thank you again for sharing it. Um, I think it's really admirable that you, you made that physical change because you knew that it was for a much greater good. Um, I mean, a whole nother episode would be, you know, people who have things that they can't change, like skin color. Yeah, no. And so, and that's another, like, that's a core element, right? Is like, I, I was privileged enough to be able to have this transition to be able to join that said group. What do we do about in groups and out groups where there is no ability to change and be that chameleon that can, you know, go in range? Oh, Ashley, thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, I don't know if you have time because I know you have technically all the time. Tell me anything. Yeah. Technically two sick babies. One's a real baby. One is a a man baby. (laughs) Your husband. (laughs) Large one. Yep. Don't don't let him say that. He'll hate me forever. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
so I want to do, I want to lighten, you know, we've talked about a lot of, a lot of stuff that's so uh, much that can be heavy, right? So I want to kind of lighten, lighten the air a bit, um, by playing a, a mini game, a rapid fire game of would you rather, are you down? Okay. I'm so far down. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Question one, would you rather, speaking of your, your man, baby, would you <laughs> rather have a spouse that chews loudly or spits when they talk? Oh, probably choose loudly. Really? I don't want to. Yeah, I don't yeah. want Splash Town every day, like <laughs> talking to me, like <laughs> I look like I'm sweating by the end of it. Like, no, thank you. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. Chewing loudly is a thing for me. So when I first saw that, I was like, that, that, that one. I don't oh, want that one. I'll just be like, boy, you sit on the other end of the table. Bye. Like, we'll <laughs> turn up the volume. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. Uh, would you rather listen to an annoying laugh for a whole day or get tickled for one hour? Oh, mercy. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to say the annoying laugh. And the reason why <laughs> is because eventually I feel like I could tune it out or I'll make like a sick beat with it or like, you know, something can happen whenever it comes to tickling. That is just violent. That mm -hmm. is, <laughs> that is too much for mm -hmm. me to handle um and my body just I I don't we've mentioned I've had a baby my body doesn't do what it used to so <laughs> if I laugh too hard for too long we're gonna have some issues so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the former <laughs> yeah oh my gosh uh, same answer for me because I don't know what it is my son he's six he loves to be tickled and so often he wants to do it back and I'm like no no I don't mm. I'm like, I'll let you him do it <laughs> But I'm, I'm really like, no, I really don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, honey, like for real. <laughs> yeah, I allowed it for a bit to try and, you know, meet you in the middle, but like, please stop. <laughs> please. This is an inconvenience, sir. I didn't need you to halt um, on that. Oh, all right. Yeah, no, tickling. Last, <laughs> Last one. Would you rather be trapped in a romantic comedy with your enemies or trapped in a horror TV show with your friends? Oh, dude. <laughs> okay. Um, honestly, okay. I kind of, as long as no one dies, then I would say horror movie with my friends because it would be effing hilarious. Like <laughs> those people, they're those little country bumpkins. They wouldn't know what to do. There'd be someone with a saw and a sledgehammer, and they'd be like, "Yeah, what's this man doing chopping this tree?" And probably walk towards the murderer um, <laughs> because we have no sense of anything. Um, but I also—it's going to sound really weird. I wouldn't mind a love romantic comedy with enemies, not for the love romantic comedy part, but just because I'm a really, really weird person, and the fact that like whenever you disagree with me or don't like me or are quote unquote an enemy, which I don't really have a ton of, thank the good Lord. Um, but I will say it almost makes me want to be like, now tell me more about why. Like I want, I'm, I'm more intrigued to know. So knowing that it's like a little light heart comedy, maybe because I'd be like, so tell me, tell me why you hate all these things. Because again, I'm someone that like, I want to know the levers of how to change or know or why. Because sometimes I need the changing, not always everybody else. Sometimes it's me. Yeah. Um, so I know it sounds weird to almost want to pick your enemies on a comedy, a comedy day, but it sounds like a learning experience. Again, nerd answer. So sorry. 
<laughs> but I would say horror if no one dies. And then if someone does have to die, then we'll go to the enemies and have a learning day. Yeah, I like that perspective. It's one that I hadn't thought when I read that question initially. <laughs> <laughs> that was fun. Thank you for playing along. Now, if people want to stay connected with you, how can they find you? Yes, absolutely. Um, so my name is Ashley Kavachka King. Um, I think it's actually Ashley K only on LinkedIn. So I do apologize. But if you do LinkedIn slash Ashley King MA, um, you'll probably find me. You can also search DEI labs. Um, so that is DEI-LABS.com. Um, and that is our website where we are teaching all of the HR people how to, um, you know, create an equitable and inclusive environment that is attractive to marginalized communities and uplifts them and creates a vessel for change and generational wealth and rebuilding pulses and roses. So uh, that's the plan. But yeah, that's where you'll find us up in the third ward in the social equity street. Uh, <laughs> that's just a little, that's just a little H town shout out, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for being here today. This was a blast, Ashley. I'm sure we'll be in touch very, very soon. Yes, I loved every second. Ah, if there's one thing I'm obsessed with, it's creating a safe space for women to get the guidance, support, and encouragement they need to elevate their own corporate confidence. That's exactly what happens inside my Corporate Mavens community. Each week, this group of ambitious women are overcoming challenges in the workplace receiving the mentorship they've always wanted, and celebrating each other's wins, big or small. This isn't your typical, we all hold the same role, or we work in the same industry type of community. No, ma'am. This is a one-of-a-kind space where women of diverse backgrounds, job levels, and industries come together to gain unique perspectives that they wouldn't otherwise get from other groups. You're invited to join us to learn, laugh, and grow together. Visit tanyaempowers.com membership that's Tanya with an O, for more information. I'll link it in the show notes. We can't wait to meet you.